Howdy, folks. Today, we're going to talk about faithful Christians not being victims. Now, I want to clarify right from the jump what it is that I mean by that. I'm talking about how faithful Christians are not destroyed, we're not killed emotionally and spiritually by the things that we face in this world. Whether or not I could have chosen a better phrase or title for this podcast, well, who knows? I don't spend a whole lot of time on what I call the podcast as much as I want to spend on the scriptures we're going to use to get us equipped to handle things. Now, I'm talking about faithful Christians for a reason. If you're not in Christ, if you're not a faithful child of God, if you've not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, this world is the best that you've got. And that's a terrible place to be in because the Bible teaches us, and things haven't changed, in 1 John 5 verse 19, where John's writing to Christians, we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Again, that hasn't changed. You know, no matter where you will live in this world, I know there are people in Europe and Africa and, and there are people in Asia and there are people in Australia and other places, South America, that are listening to this podcast on a fairly regular basis. Thankful that you're listening. I know this about where you live too. You're surrounded by wicked people who are doing wicked things. Rulers of this world who are making decisions that represent wickedness. I mean, and, and, it, and it's on so many levels. You know, here in the United States of America, as it is called, though there is not United States in a true sense, there is so much chaos and disorder and, and, and so many different things that can just bring the mind of any citizen of this country into a point of anxiety and stress. And you know what? If you're a person of the world, you have no escape for that. You have no means whereby you're going to come out of that, let alone the physical things that are happening. I mean, here locally, yesterday, meaning Monday the 12th, uh, uh, of February, our local news here, the KFOX News Channel, was interviewing the school district that I live in. Now, if you're not in Texas, this might not mean as much to you as it does to some of us who live here, especially in the school district that I live in, the Socorro Independent School District. Uh, a lot of the brethren here uh, in the congregation live in this school district. I should say, I don't know. I, I don't know the number, but several of us do. Uh, this is why it impacts us. The Scoro Independent School District was talking about how they're going broke. Our property taxes, for those of us who own homes uh, here in this school district, are heavily impacted by the Socorro Independent School District or other people who live in El Paso and other places in Texas by the school district that they live in. Our property taxes are impacted by the school districts. Well, this school district that I live in loves to build enormous, unbelievably ridiculous things that have nothing to do with education. Like we have two athletic complexes, swimming pools and everything that are involved uh, in this and I mean, multi-million dollar projects, but then they're on the news talking about, we just don't have enough money. We just don't have enough money. So for those of us living in this school district, here's what we hear. My tax is about to go up again. Now in the great state of Texas, our state government decided to give us a break on property taxes. Hey, that felt good. Well, our county decided to tap into that break. <laughs> it's like, oh, if the state's going to give you a break, we're going to take that away from you. Now the school district is going to be crying for more and more money. And you know what? We could just look at this and we could want to go crazy. I mean, the school district that, that I live in are trying to raise money to educate people that are crossing the border illegally, all kinds of different things going on. It is just utter insanity. If I sit there and I listen to that, and I watch that, and I focus on that, it's just going to eat me alive. But I have the ability to back away from that. Now, what we face today as Christians, and what I just talked about 
as mostly what's common demand. Uh, persecution in the United States of America against Christians isn't anything like it was in the first century. Much of what we suffer, whether I'm a Christian and you're not uh, or not, we suffer together. You know, my next door neighbors who aren't in Christ are suffering the same things that I'm suffering. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about this in, to the saints in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but that such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who not suffer to be tempted above what you're able with. The temptation also may a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So what is common to man? Whether you're a Christian or not, we're facing this same thing, right? Well, there's some people that are going to be destroyed by it. Some people that are going to be victims in these things, and they're going to live daily with their heads down and feeling certain ways. They're emotionally going to be distraught. So I want to talk about this. I want, if you're not in Christ, I want you to weigh the benefits mentally, spiritually, for being a Christian in this present evil world. Now, in addition, I'm not necessarily talking about us being beaten. You know, when we look at Christians in the first century, the apostles in Acts 5 and verse 40, um, after uh, Gamaliel gave a defense uh, on their behalf, Acts 5.40 says, To him they agreed, that is, the council agreed to Gamaliel. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. I'm not facing that. I have been removed from preaching among congregations and have faced persecution in the sense that I had to uproot my family and move to different places for the sake of of preaching the gospel, and we went through financial hardships and emotional hardships. But I had to date, I've been threatened physically, but I've not been beaten physically for the sake of the gospel. And Acts 8 1, Saul, we also know as the Apostle Paul, was consenting unto his death, that is the previous chapter, Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church that was at Jerusalem. And they're all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. I, as well as other Christians that I know in this country, we have not had to uproot and run away from situations of physical persecution, being cast into prison, being stoned to death like Stephen was in Acts chapter 7. That has happened to Christians in this present world, is happening to Christians, and could happen to us in the future in the United States of America. God's people suffering at the hands of those in the world is not a new thing. And Nehemiah 9.26, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast the law behind their backs and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn to thee, and they wrought great provocations. In the New Testament, to the saints in Thessalonica, Paul and Timothy and Silvanus write in 1 Thessalonians 2.14-15, For ye, brethren became followers of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. We have suffered like things of our own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. These are facts of the past that are very potential in the future. The fact of the matter is, if you're in Christ, you're going to suffer some form of persecution. That's a promise. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says to Timothy, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Fact, Acts 14, 22, They went confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith that we through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. We're not facing the physical necessarily in the United States of America. I'll say specifically in El Paso, Texas, USA, as saints did in the first century. We do face other things. We face people saying things about us. Uh, we face... Uh, family hardships where we have been separated for the sake of the gospel from those whom we love in the flesh. And those are things that are not uncommon to saints. You know, when Jesus was talking to his apostles in Matthew 10, 21 and 22, he said, the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. The father of the child, the children shall rise up against their parents, cause them to be put to death. You should be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. We face family division, not to the degree of 
being surrendered to death, although there may be those in my physical family uh, that I have preached against that might wish that they could, but our present situation doesn't permit such. Later in that same context, in Matthew 10, 34 through 39, Jesus is talking and he says, think not, I'm come to send peace on earth. I'm come not send peace, but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes shall be those of his own household. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. The majority of the brethren that I know in the flesh have faced to some degree this level of persecution. That is what happens when you preach, teach, and practice and or live Christ Jesus. People will not want to be around you. They will turn at times to be your enemy. And so be it, right? Proverbs 29, 27 says, an unjust man is an abomination of the just. He that's upright in the way is abomination of the wicked. So to some degree, Christians face things that is not common to man, like we talked about in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but much of what we face is common to man. Again, crazy property taxes, what's going on in our federal government, what's going on in state governments. If you're in Christ, you're facing the same thing that somebody that is not in Christ is suffering. But you do not need to live in this world with the feeling of, I'm a victim. Because through the scriptures, we know that these things are common to man. Hey, government officials have been corrupt thousands of years, right? The world has been evil for thousands of years. We as Christians, we're not ignorant to that fact. I mean, when, when you think of things that the world maybe just doesn't seem to realize, and, and a lot of people are just ignorant to history and, and all other types of things, but, you know, when you're a child and the United States public education system, uh, of which I grew up having been a part of, and because of that, my children were not. Well, as a child, I had to pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, one nation under God, right? Most of you listening probably know those words, right? Well, as a Christian, I know this country has never been in any way, shape, or form in God's kingdom. I know that this is not a quote-unquote Christian nation. You know, the world thinks that it is or has had a past of being a Christian nation. Far from it. Christianity as a majority has never and will never be practiced in this country or other countries of this world. Well, we as Christians are not blind to that. So we're not caught off guard, right? We know that there are few in the kingdom. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, right? Here you at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go on that because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads in life and few there be that find it. So we're not all of a sudden coming to a realization where we're like, oh, the world's a bad place. <laughs> Listen, if you're not a Christian, you might have just recently realized that or you may not realize it yet at all because you're part of it. We who are in Christ have our eyes wide open. So we recognize we're not victims. We see it coming, buddy. And we've got the right mindset. Whatever it is we're going to face as Christians, I want you to think about this, that where I'm about to take you in the Bible is the text, okay, not the only text, but one of the texts that has driven me to teach on what we're going to talk about today. It's in Romans 8. Now, in Romans 8, uh, there are people that know one verse. Uh, 
as it relates to things. There are a lot of people that will say, Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for good to them that love God who are called according to his purpose. And that verse is commonly used to propagate the idea that if you're a Christian, your life is going to be physically better because God in some fashion, form, or way is going to protect you. That is taking that verse and abusing it in its context. Because the context from which that verse appears addresses the fact that the saints to whom it was written, the saints in Rome, were facing persecution and could expect to face persecution. It's not a promise of physical well-being. So th this is how this plays into what I want to talk to you about. We in Christ are not victims even if physical persecution comes our way. If my local government decides that, and we've got some corrupt political officials out here in El Paso, it, it man, it's there's some corruption in our government. It's crazy. We got a lady running for mayor that got caught abusing city gas cards, and who knows, she might win because the people in El Paso seem to be absolutely incompetent when it comes to what corruption looks like. Uh, hey, it is what it is. Well, Romans 8.28 isn't telling me as a Christian not to worry that I'll never face persecution. No, it's telling me that even in times of persecution, I'm not a victim. I want you to hear this text. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Romans 8.28, I'm going to start there and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, which is verse 39. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he may be, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, and what that means is foreknow, okay? Just throwing that out there for you. That he also called, whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What should we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely giveth all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Now notice this. Nay, in all these things, what's all these things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. That's all these things. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know what that means? We who are in Christ, whatever you do to us, we're not your victim. We're the victors. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, you can come and take my house. You can take my property. You can take my funds. You can take my family. You can take my life, but you can't take me away from my Lord. Ooh, mm, right? Come on. If that doesn't get you ready, Christian out there, if that doesn't get you ready for battle, what will? And all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are the victors. You might hold me down and you might beat me to death. And in that moment, I am going to be suffering. But when I'm in paradise, Luke 16, 19 through 31, my suffering is forever over. When I'm in eternity with my Lord, my Father, the angels of heaven, the Holy Spirit of God, and my faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, you have done nothing to me. I've won. I've conquered. I'm the victor. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, 
For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth Jesus is the Son of God. Listen, I'm already the victor. I've got the Lord. And I'm looking forward to something that you can't take from me. You can't affect. Paul, when he was talking about attaining under the resurrection, said in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. At the end of his life, when he's writing Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8, I'm not ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Look, folks. This is why you want to be a Christian. Eternal life, yes. But in the present, no matter what you do to me, I'm still a winner. Everything that I have that matters can't be taken away from me. You can't affect it. It is solely under my control in my Lord's hands. If I don't walk away or run away from him, he is going to be right there for all eternity. So we don't get tired. We looked at Jesus. You know, we got, we got the faith chapter, so to speak, of Hebrews chapter 11, where we look at 40 verses that talk about people of faith and what they did and what they overcome. And then right after that, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. That's all those of the past who through faith endured. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience, that word means endurance, folks, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Look at Jesus. Jesus had a moment, didn't he, in the Garden of Gethsemane? Let this cup, cup pass from me. Then, then, then what did he say? What did he say, folks? He didn't say, I'm going to quit. He didn't say, I give up. He didn't say, I'm too tired to go forward. No. No. He said, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Matthew 26, 42. And he got up and he went on to be betrayed and to be crucified and to die and to be raised on the third day and to come and appear to the disciples and many witnesses that were still alive at the time Paul wrote the letter to Corinth and we see that testified of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then to ascend into heaven, where he sits on the right hand of the throne of God, like we talked about, where he is sitting there making intercession for us. Folks, look unto Jesus. Realize that overcoming the world now will bring about a reward that the world can't offer. So if you're not in Christ, here's where you are. You're hoping for a better president. And I'm not saying that Christians don't, right? And I'm not saying that we've got a good choice either way. But you're looking at one guy who every time he talks, you think he might just die right there. Or maybe he is dead and some artificial intelligence is making his mouth move. I don't know. It just seems very scary, right? And this is the dude that's the commander of our military and has the power to do crazy things, right? So if you're looking at that, you're thinking, I live in a hopeless world. Then you hear the other candidates that are running for president and you're going to pick apart different things about them. And you're going to choose, let's face it, this is what electing officials uh, in government is. It's the lesser of two evils. It's not putting a just person in office, but it's the lesser of two evils. 
and you're looking at this person, and your hope is there, right? You're hoping he's going to do this, this, and this, and that Congress, who has more power than the president, is going to uh, support those decisions, and that something's going to happen that's going to make life better in this world. You know, in Oregon right now, there's a case of the bubonic plague. That's insane, right? I mean, open borders bring things into a country that are insane. And I won't say any more to cause further distress, but there's crazy things going on in the United States of America today. Things that I didn't think I would see in my lifetime, things that are happening in third world countries. Like you think it's not going to happen here and it's happening here. If I'm of the world, the best I can hope for is some new leader that's going to make some changes that's going to benefit me carnally. You know what's unfortunate about that? You're putting your faith in men. That's what's unfortunate about that. And you know what God tells us about that? Psalm 118, 8 and 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Hmm. 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 Right? But if you're a person of the world, if you're not in Christ, that's the best you have to look forward to. You're trying to figure out how you can keep your house, how you can keep your whatever properties you have, whatever transportation you have, whatever clothes you have, how you can put more money in some kind of an account so that you can leave something for your spouse, your family. Maybe you're younger and you're hoping your family is going to have something to leave to you. Maybe you're getting older and you're hoping that there's going to be funds in the social security system that you paid for all your working days that you're probably never going to see half of what you paid for. And you're hoping that that's going to be there in the end. You know what your hope is in? Things that have no certainty at all. And even if they're sure all the days of your life, what's going to happen when you die? Think about the difference between a Christian and non-Christian in this regard. 1 John 2, 13 through 17, I run to you fathers, but you've known him that from the beginning. I run to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I run to you little children because you know the father. I've written to you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young man, because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Christians have already overcome something. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The best things you are hoping in right now, if you're outside of Christ, are going to come to an end with your last breath. But for those of us who are in Christ, all the things that we have and look forward to are still to come in eternity. And man can't touch it. I want you to look at suffering through things in this world through the lens of a faithful child of God. And not my words. Let me give you the inspired words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8 through 5 and verse 1. And here it is. You're going to see that they're facing things physical and how he overcomes this. What makes him more than a conqueror, even in the flesh, while suffering things that the Christians that I know have never had to suffer through. And while we may in the future... We're not going through it now. Listen to Paul's words. He says, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 5, 1. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down. Now listen to this, listen to this. When I said at the beginning of this lesson, I said faithful Christians are not victims. What I mean by that is in the sense of we're not being destroyed. We're not being killed by the things that we face in this world emotionally and spiritually. So listen to what Paul says here. This is, what, this is where my thought process came from. 2 Corinthians 4, 9. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. 
always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith. According as written, I have believed, and therefore I have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. Back to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 there, right? But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Folks, as you age in this world, don't you see your outward flesh perishing? I mean, not too long ago, a few months ago, I decided to start shaving my head because I've got a, a spot where I had surgery uh, that hair doesn't grow on the top of my head and, and my hairline's receding and so forth and so on. And you know what? So I'm, I'm going around primarily with a bald head and I've got a funny shaped head, uh, but I, I understand I'm aging. My brother, Calvin Edwards Jr. and I were talking on uh, this past Sunday about how, I don't know how many years ago it was, 10 years or so. Uh, I, I don't know. A lot of the brethren used to come over to my house in the morning, meant the men, uh, and, and uh, on Saturday mornings, and we would come in my garage. We'd lift weights together. Then after we lift weights together, we went down to the field that's not too far from my house, and we played football. And we were talking about the, those days, you know, and the different things. And, and look, I'm telling you what, I still work out. But I don't have what I had those days in me anymore. And like I said, I mean, it's physically visible. I'm a bald guy right now. I guess I'm glad my name is not Harry, right? <laughs> but uh, when, we look at, when we look at our physical bodies, as you get older, you know things are changing. I mean, you start to feel it depending on who you are in your 20s and your 30s. Definitely in your 40s and 50s and onward, right? You feel it. Our outward man is perishing. But listen, Paul says, I'm going to repeat verse 16 to get the whole verse. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. This is how you have a victor's mindset. Our light affliction, which is for a moment. The guy that sang this, I mean, come on. You go study the book of Acts and see what the Apostle Paul went through in the flesh. I mean, in Acts 14, 19, and I'm going to come back here to 2 Corinthians 4. I know I'm not done. There came thither Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas Derby. You know what they did? They went on preaching from there. Hey, folks, this guy that was stoned to the point where they looked at him and assumed that he was dead just says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. <laughs> Come on. Now, Acts 14 happens before Paul writes the letter to the saints in Corinth. You know how I know that? Because the church in Corinth didn't exist until Acts 18. So after Paul has been stoned to the point of death and imprisoned multiple times, chased out of cities, he says, for our light affliction. I mean, man, when I read stuff like this, I feel absolutely dumb for complaining about anything. Absolutely dumb. He says, for our light affliction. Come on, man. Come on which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How's he do this? What's the mental work to preserve his mind and spirit? Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, 
eternal in the heaven. So he's talking about the physical body perishing. Don't worry. You got the eternal awaiting you. It's for a moment. Don't look at the things that you're seeing. You know, there's a mirror that we should look into, James 1, 21 through 25, the scriptures. Well, sometimes the physical mirrors that we look at, where we say, I'm getting older, where we say, I'm aging poorly, or whatever we might say. Maybe you went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, you've got this coming on, your blood work shows it, or we did an x-ray and this is happening. Guess what? You're not going to escape that unless you have an untimely death. You're going to get older. Body's going to decay. You don't need a mirror to tell you that. So stop looking at the things that are temporary and focus on the things that are eternal. The world would send you down the road of depression by focusing on what is wrong with your flesh. The Lord would send you on the road of joy to think about the things that are eternal. Whatever it is that we're going to suffer in the flesh, you got to have a look forward mentality, looking at the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Romans 8, 17, you know, if you back up, earlier we read Romans 8, 28 through 39. Romans 8, 17 says, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, and so be we've suffered with him, we also be glorified together. Whatever it is we suffer in this world, whether it's the things common to man that we talked about in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, or the things that happen because you are a Christian, whatever it is we suffer, look forward to our inheritance. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, it will deny us. If we suffer, we will reign with him. And even while we are in the process of living in this old dirty world, look at this world and say, you know, whatever you're doing to me, it's not killing me spiritually, emotionally. It's just making me stronger. And James 1, 2, and 3, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Listen, now listen to me, okay? Maybe you don't know me very well. Maybe you listen to this podcast and you're saying, who are you? You don't know what I've suffered. Look, I've not suffered the same exact things that a lot of people have suffered, but I have suffered plenty in my days. As I'm 48 years old, approaching 49, I've suffered many physical ailments on a daily basis, suffered the loss of people that I love, both in the flesh and those in, in spirit that are still alive, for whom I'm separated from for the sake of the gospel. I have suffered financially and all kinds of ways. I'm not coming at you as some dude that has no idea what it means to go through bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad years. And even if I were, it wouldn't matter. The scriptures are true, regardless of man's personal experiences. The creator of all the ends of the earth, who knows things past, present, and to come, is giving you the formula on how to overcome the things that affect us in the flesh. It's to look forward and to get stronger day by day. The worse things get, the more you got to be able to see more clearly and focus more clearly on the things to come. Looking forward. You know, you think about Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, here again, a benefit for Christians only. To be risen with Christ, go read Romans 6, 1 through 6, talking about uh, people who have been baptized into Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not on things of the earth. When you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God, when Christ, who is our life, see, the world is not my life. Your physical job can't be your life. Your property can't be your life. The Lord has to be your life, shall appear. Then shall you also appear with him in glory. If the Lord is your life, you know what you're doing? You're looking forward to what is to come. 
and you look at what is present. And I'm not saying you're not affected by it. Come on, we, we read the scriptures that show us that it impacts the most faithful of Christians, even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. But you got to have that mindset of it's time to get up and get going. We're not supposed to feel at home in this present world. If we did, we wouldn't be able to look so forward to heaven. In John 12, 25 and 26, Jesus says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any may, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. Man serve me, him will my father other. Listen, listen. Don't hope that this world gets better. If it does, you just want to stay here. And that's not the goal. The worse things get, the easier it is to be a Christian. Because you need to be saved by hope. Romans 8, 24 and 25. If you don't need hope because your life is just so great, well, you're not going to have anything to look forward to. Yet, don't worry. It's going to keep getting easier to be a Christian because the world ain't going to get better. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 33, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. And the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You know why there's so many drug addicts and alcoholics? I mean, it is an absolute disaster in most cities. There are cities where there's so many drug addicts living on the streets that they don't know what to do with it. They, they, they've stated, I think it's in Oregon, uh, a city in Oregon that has a, a, a crisis on their hands of people that are so addicted to drugs an opioid epidemic, and it's crazy. You want to know why? Because they don't have no hope. They need to be out of their mind. Why do you think so many people get off work and go to a bar? Because they want to forget their life. We who are in Christ can face the hard days, because we can look beyond them. So it's not woe is me. Faithful Christians, it's not woe is me. We know we're just passing through, right? Hebrews 13, uh, when, when we think about the scriptures and we think about uh, looking forward, Hebrews 13, 14, here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We're looking forward. We recognize. If you're following the Sunday sermons through 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from flesh and lust at war against soul. Think about what Jesus told Pilate. John 18.36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. If you're a faithful Christian, if you're one of the saints, you're a citizen of the kingdom. Colossians 1, 12 and 13 says, giving thanks to the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us in the kingdom of his dear son. And you know what the glorious, glorious truth is about the kingdom? It's not going to be moved. As evil as this world may get, hey, which just, just remember, just makes it easier and easier to be a faithful Christian as this world gets more and more evil. Here's the promise. Hebrews 12, 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Our hope ain't going anywhere. My citizenship is secured because the kingdom is not going anywhere. That doesn't mean I'll not suffer because kingdom citizenship includes suffering some in the flesh. The book of Revelation, John is writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor. He says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother, and notice, and companion 
You know what that means? Co-participant. Means he's a joint partner. He says, I am a companion, a joint partner in tribulation. What's that mean? Anguish, burden, persecution, trouble. And in the kingdom. So no matter what we're suffering in this world, as we go through tribulation, as a kingdom citizen, and in the kingdom, and patience of Jesus Christ was in the aisle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John says, I am your brother in the kingdom and in suffering. So while we're in the kingdom, we're not protected from the physical things that go wrong in this world, whether it be the very minor things like stupid taxation or the major things like being beaten for the sake of Christ. Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Paul says to the saints in Philippi, my inspiration, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have for an example. For many walk, of whom I've told you often now even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation, the meaning our citizenship, is in heaven. From whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Look forward. Look to the heavenly, where your citizenship is. And if you're not in Christ, listen, 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 listen. You got nothing to look forward to. If you're not in Christ, your best hope is that this world is going to have better prices on food, less taxation, better hospitals, etc. And ultimately, you're still going to die. And then for all eternity, you're going to wish you were back in this world because where you're headed is worse than anything this world presents. And it is everlasting. Go read Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Think about what's going to happen after the judgment. You think life in this world is terrible? Think about everlasting destruction. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You want to live forever with God the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ? You want to be a victor in this present world and in the world to come? You got to be in Christ. Then, then, this is what you have on, on your mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 through 58. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, and that means be dead, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So he's talking about the body that is to come after the resurrection. That is eternal, okay? He says, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us. Now who's the us? Saints. It's to whom this letter is written, the saints in Corinth, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's that victory that we have and will enjoy for all eternity do for us? Verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, Christians are not victims. We're victorious. We have the win now and to come, and you can't take it from us. If you're not one of us, it's time to join up. Get a hold of me, and we'll talk about that.
if you are in Christ. Whew. Think about the scriptures we covered in this lesson. We are more than conquerors. Don't let this world get you down. Don't let the things that you face in the flesh get you down. My brothers and sisters that are suffering right now, some more than others, and I know who you are and you know who you are, get your head up. Get your head up. We're all going to die if the Lord doesn't come first. And we're going to die from one thing or another. We're all going to pay higher taxes. We're all going to face higher prices at the grocery store. We're all going to see diseases and sicknesses come and go, some that we may have not heard of before. Maybe we'll be affected by it. Maybe we'll just be worried we're going to catch it. And this world might do more terrible things to us than it has at the present. But we're the winners. Don't let that be lost. Live like you're a winner. I hope this lesson has been profitable to you. These are the things that I think about on a regular basis. I get just as frustrated as you do and maybe more. The type of person that I am, I can go down that road. So I got to think about what Paul said about not being anxious for anything, Philippians 4, 6. And I constantly use what he said in Philippians 4, 8, where he said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are loving, whatsoever things of a good report, there be any virtue, there be any praise, think on these things. And that takes my mind off the world and it puts it on my brethren and my Lord and eternal life. Because there is certainly nothing in this world that is worldly, that is honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report and virtue and praise. I look out at the beauty, you know, here in El Paso, we got some beautiful mountains. I love mountains. I love mountains, bodies of water, things that are naturally beautiful. And I look at those things and I think, look at what God has created. And if he created this to be temporary, I can't fathom what he has made that is eternal. Because this isn't his house. I can't wait to get to his house. I can't wait to be his son in his house a joint heir with my Lord for all eternity. Listen, that gets you through the tough days. It gets you through the worst days. It gets you to the best days. Be a victor, not a victim. Thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, uh, next podcast will be up on Sunday. I hope that you enjoyed and benefited from this. I hope you've been challenged to think in a different way. And I hope I see you in heaven. Thank you and goodbye.